Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burnorangenation.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I am your host this week. And before we get started, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton of visibility. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, wherever you found it. Somebody that you know loves Texas Longhorn sports as much as you do, clearly, if you're already listening to this podcast. Well, again, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I am joined this week, like I am every week, by a man. When he's on the microphone, you best to wear your sweater. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Icy. Icy. I get it. That's good. Um, I'm all right. I, uh, I'm heading into a birthday week, which is always, or a birthday month, uh, which is always a, uh, a good time. So, uh, the, the month of March is, is looking up and, um, who knows? Maybe, maybe just some madness to ensue in the month of March. Technically it's the birthday week and the birthday month this week, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I will, I will round into the, the start of the next month with, uh, with a, a milestone birthday, which I wish not disclose because I'm utterly ancient when we talk about 18 and 22 year olds uh, for a living. Welcome to the club family. You're, you're the young one of our, of our group of friends. So I'm totally, <laughs> totally fine with you joining the old people club. Yeah. Uh, so we, we've got a, uh, a varied and various uh, slate to talk about today. Uh, we're going to start with some crazy news that came out uh, just this few days ago at the time of recording. Uh, the FBI is doing these investigations, these deep dives into some corruption uh, into the NCAA in three Texas basketball players, whether current or former, were named in some documents that were found. Uh, current player Eric Davis Jr. Uh, has uh, kind of allegedly received a $1,500 loan from an agent. Um, Andy Miller, uh, formerly of ASM Sports, I believe they've terminated his uh, his uh, employment there. And then Prince Ebay and Isaiah Taylor both had dinner with uh, his runner, a runner for Andy Davis, a guy named Christian Dawkins. He was a former associate. Uh, the colloquial term for a guy like that is a runner. They kind of run and connect you with people. Uh, so the university has started an a, uh, internal review of the situation. They're, they're diving deep on it. It's kind of uh, Del Conte's first big test as the athletic director here at Texas. And then uh, they've also kind of sat Eric Davis for the foreseeable future. So Kyle, man, what... What does this do for your your view of the Texas program and what's going on in in Austin? Well, uh, first of all, I, you know I don't know what Lava Cafe is where Prince eBay had a thirty seven dollar meal, but I do know what PF Chang's is, and Isaiah Taylor took uh, took one hundred and forty six dollars there, which to me is a lot of lettuce wraps. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that almost, you know, puts into question a guy's decision making when he's got to get NBA ready with that body. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, uh, jokes aside, this is, this is not good. Um, I think it's probably exposing a little bit of what we all knew has been going on and, uh, and, you know, across the country, UT is certainly not alone in this. Uh, most of the major programs, um, you know, have been involved, and we kind of joked before the show about the return on investment that you're getting from this. Um, if if guys, you know, at this level are are you know included in this, then you truly must probably cover most of the spectrum of the entire uh, the entire talent pool across the country. You know, most D1 athletes are getting something somewhere, um, and I myself obviously have. I'll say a few many many personal anecdotes that I'm not going to share on air, uh, but we're, this is not surprising in any way to me, um, you know. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I 
I, I feel bad for the kids. We, we, you know, you take a meeting, you take a lunch, you take a whatever. You maybe don't know all the rules. But uh, at this point, as long as the NCAA is what it is and amateurism is what it is, you have to follow the rules and you have to... Uh, you have to avoid this. Uh, they asked Rick Barnes, you know, and he, of course, didn't know a thing about it. He couldn't. No, of course not. <laughs> um, and it was just a thing that, you know, he had never done. And certainly moving to the SEC would, would obviously never do um, in Tennessee. And that may be true because the SEC may put all their bag men money towards football. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, it's tough. It's tough because Shaka's a good guy. He's the type of coach you get a good feeling from. A you know a, a good guy. He works with a lot of the these top kids in the kind of USA uh, development program as a coach there. Um, his results on the court, withstanding, he see, has gives you that feeling of just a good a good man. I'm sure as a parent, if you talk to him and see the type of program and uh, guy that he is, you you feel good putting him in there. So you don't want to tarnish that side of it you know you don't I, I kind of like the fact that UT basketball is in a, a, a coach Calipari situation you know where there's always just a little uh veneer of of sleaze on top um I mean you go all the way back to like a Mick Cabon- or Mike Cabongo you know there's been a, a little bit of tumult here in in the 40 acres from the basketball side um so you know what I hope is that this is the end of it and they get it cleaned up and uh and this is the last we hear from this, and, it, and, it, and it's unfortunate because Eric Davis, you know, was a player on this team and, and, a, and a big contributor, and, and on his night could be a guy who won games for the team. So just from a practical standpoint, which may not, I don't know, be the most important aspect of this, that it does have a pretty big impact. I don't know what to make of it because I, I'm of the belief that the NCAA's amateurism rules are just a complete joke. Like it, it is a multi-million dollar sport both basketball and football probably if you combine the rights fees for football and basketball you're probably getting close to a bill you know a billion dollars right. if i if i had to do the math and so i don't i don't necessarily agree with the way that they do it now you sign on the dotted line for a scholarship and you have to obey the rules. I'm right. not saying that. I'm not saying they should be um, they should be exempt from the rules, but I am saying I think the rules are messed up. But with the system that we have, like you said, ignorance of the law is not an excuse to to break the law. That's not that's not an excuse. I right. do think, you know, these agents of these runners need to um, that's where my my kind of frustration comes out is it seems like these these guys with know-how and these guys with the ability to kind of manipulate guys who are coming from less than stellar financial situations right. or who are trying to capitalize and find a way to make a life for themselves and for their families. Um, it's very predatory. And that's my big struggle with agents, um, with the street agents that you see in recruiting. It's it's something that I'm glad that these things are coming to light. It's unfortunate that Texas is named in them. But I think outside of wholesale changes of how the NCAA treats amateurism and until the pearl clutching stops, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, but I think the, them exposing these things that are happening uh, is going to shine a brighter light on the dark corners of what's going on. And I think it's important to note that it was not the NCAA doing investigations that exposed this. I think they're happy with, with turning the blind eye. This was the FBI actually getting involved. So I cannot wait until... Um, the FBI decides that it's important enough for them to look into maybe football and maybe the SEC um, and, and see what, <laughs> what happens there. Um, but, 
you know, like I said, it made actually just popped in my mind as you were talking. There was about kind of coming into the season, the whole kind of predatory uh, agent relationship that Mo Bamba had, and luckily he was exonerated and cleared. But again, just a guy looking, seeing a meal ticket, and you know, sinking his claws in. Um, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty nasty landscape. I think you hit the nail on the head, but um, yeah, I mean, this is pretty serious. This is, this is the FBI getting in and digging in. And I think this is going to have uh, by the end of this year, you know, you're going to see sweeping wide ranging effects of this across the whole, you know, NCAA landscape. Yeah. I, I want to see where this ends up. Cause I, I think they're not done. I don't think they're done digging. And I think there's more stuff uh, to come up. Speaking of a team that's not necessarily done, uh, <laughs> Texas, continues to do its Jekyll and Hyde thing. So we opened last week with, I don't, I don't even want to say the 58 to 48 loss to Kansas state. Kyle and I, if you're watching the video, which doesn't exist, we literally both rubbed our heads in frustration, 58 to 48. Uh, so Texas couldn't manage to put up 50 against Kansas state, um, in a, in a road loss. And, and Kyle, I don't, what is there to say about a game this ugly? Um, all that I could muster in the show notes is, aren't aren't we like Texas? Can't we run people out of the conference? Can we kick Kansas State out and make them join <laughs> some other, you know, the, the American Athletic Conference or, or some other thing? I mean, we could trade UTSA. They would be a nice surrogate for us. Like, I, I don't know. Just get Kansas State. I never want to see them again. They're my least favorite team in the entire country now. <laughs> I'm so tired of them and to losing to them. Um I was like really truly trying to think. I was like, okay, I want to give some analysis and really think what's going on and what was what was maybe good. Um, I didn't have a lot. Uh, I, I I mean, I I really truly don't know what I could say. Mobamba gritted it out in this one. Um, he yeah. didn't look like he was going to play, and he played. And that shows a kid who, if he's here a year or not, is willing to you know truly put his body on the line and go out there and try to you know secure this team. And I think this team means a lot to the guys with everything you've seen with the Andrew Jones situation. I think this is truly. Um, you know these guys feel a kinship and a fire for each other uh obviously didn't translate to playing you know that way on the court but you know that that action is pretty good and and i mean matt coleman i guess um played all right uh he's been hitting his free throws lately and in this game uh free throws were like half of the offense and so that was good (laughs) uh the unfortunate part is that we just we got into like double uh double penalty um, with like five minutes left and never got to the line again. And, and I'm perplexed by that. We had a couple timeouts that didn't get burned. Like I'm calling guys over and just saying, go back to, go back to, you know, grade school when, you know, just, just get in there, get contact, throw a shot up. Like it's, it's easy stuff at that point when your offense isn't clicking and you're like, Oh, for 86 from behind the arc. That to me seems logical, but again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an actual, an actual coach. I don't know. I'm just, uh, when this Longhorn team's on, I'm glad the Winter Olympics are also on so I can have a second screen experience. That's that's my take. They only made 16 shots. 16 shots in in a basketball game. 16 shots of 56 attempts. For those of you doing math at home, 28.6% field goal percentage. That is awful. Like, it's just terrible. Like, I don't... I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, you got a starter, Fabres, who had a couple of big games, but put up a big goose egg on the stat sheet. Uh, you know, Snoop, 2 of 13 from the floor, had a, actually back-to-back poor shooting performances, but we'll get to that uh, in just a minute. Yeah, you mentioned Coleman, you know, big O, 10 and 10, so that's great. But you you got three guys who actually played minutes. 
yeah. that did not turn in points. Yep. Club like, Trillion, the uh, one zero 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 box scores are, are always nice. It's impressive. It really, it is. And they only got to the line like 20 times, so that didn't do a huge, huge service to them comparing that to, uh, you know, Kansas State, who got there 21 times, but they made more free throws, and obviously they made more shots from the floor uh, than Texas. So there's not, not a ton to digest here. They played probably their worst game of the season. Uh, there's a couple candidates for it. In fact, a couple of them include Kansas State. But uh, to me, this was maybe their most lifeless game of the season. Uh, West Virginia was was pretty devastating just because of what they allowed West Virginia to do on the other end. Um, but this this certainly, just from a effort level and, and execution level, may have been it's in the it's in the conversation. Yeah. So let's let's switch gears and go to to a fun one to talk about. So yeah. after that performance it looked like texas was kind of dead in the water it looked like they were just done let's call it a season mo bamba it's been real we'll see you in the league next year like we just it felt like we were ready to pack it in and early on in the game against oklahoma state it looked like the team had packed it in as well but uh so texas managed to after building a double-digit lead, well, really erasing a double-digit lead, building a double-digit lead, and then uh, losing a double-digit lead. Uh, Snoop Roach managed to hit an off-balance, kind of right-to-left, left-handed layup to to put the team up 65-64 with one second left. The way this game went, I assumed the full-court three-pointer was going to go in, and it it looked good for most of it, but uh, it dinked off the front uh, front of the iron, and Texas came away with a home win against Oklahoma State. So with that win, it looks like they, they're, they're still in the talk for the NCAA tournament. Well, what the heck happened? Uh, man, the triggered Longhorn says, syndrome. Like, I just, when that shot went up, I had flashbacks to, for various reasons, the worst night of my life was the, the UNI March Madness buzzer beater and just seeing that go up again I was like cool this is fun this is going to happen and I hate everything and then it didn't go in which was good but um, you know hey we just dominate the state of Oklahoma and at least that's something you know so I'll take that um, we actually looked pretty good unfortunately the the kind of big one coming out of this negative is, is Mo Bamba had to be had to be kind of uh, shut down and, and uh, didn't play at all in the second half um, and went out early in this one and We'll be curious to see what that looks like for the last two games uh, of the season and then tournament play. Um, but there were some guys stepping up and ca- coming in. And again, with, with as we talked about Eric Davis um, being being held out, um, we were looking for uh, we were looking for points for for contributors for people outside of what we've seen this year. When you think you know Davis, Bomba, Jones, all out of a game. Um, you're going to need some guys to step up. And at this late in the season, you kind of have a formula set. So it's interesting to see how Shaka managed that and who stepped up. And uh, I was I was super proud of Jacob Young, you know, uh, a guy who hasn't got a ton. He's got some sparing minutes and got some shots throughout the season, but really hasn't been a guy who's been pressed upon. Um, came in and, and shot uh, four for four from the line, two for four from behind the arc, and two for four from the floor uh, from two-point range and had a, you know, overall pretty uh, decent game for a guy who doesn't get a lot of love and a lot of hype and, and kind of did his thing. And, and um, you know, that was great. And then, you know, the other guy I really was, was happy for was Jericho Sims, um, who, who really kind of um, 
had some moves in the post, you know, some kind of good looking offensive moves and, uh, you know, could be, he was, he was a big recruit, but has obviously been hugely overshadowed by Bamba and, and Bamba was the more, you know, ready-made player plug and play. Um, Jericho Sims might be a good piece next year, um, with Mo Bamba and that drop-off may not be as painful, um, with Bamba out the fact that Texas killed the offensive boards, a thing we talk about all the time on this show and pulled down 34% of possible offensive rebounds, which is higher than their season average, um, is awesome. And, and shouts to Sims, Osikowski, uh, just kind of any of the bigs getting in there. That was that was good to see. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I just I, – I had very low expectations. I was trampled. I was down. I was ready for, for bad stuff. And somehow, you know, this uh, this gave me hope, and I didn't expect that uh, going into this one. Yeah, in in any other class, like Jericho Sims is kind of the dude, but you have Bamba and Matt Coleman in that class, so it's like okay, like that was 2017 Texas basketball, maybe one of the best uh, recruiting classes in in the school's history as far as basketball recruiting goes. So you know, Sims, like you said, has a lot of length to him. He's not, you know, Mo Bamba 7-4 wingspan, but he caused some problems under, you know, in the in in the painted area and he really um, you know, did did what he could to contribute. He came up with seven boards and two blocks and he had a really big block in the second half. I think he sent it into the second or third row. So, uh, but he got called on early cuz Mo Bamba was clearly uh, hampered due to his toe injury kind of they were likening it to turf toe even though you're playing on hardwood. Uh, so they shut him down for the second half, and it seemed like it seems like anytime Obama goes out, this team kind of loses its identity because they play so you know inside outside. So I, having a guy like Sim step up, having a guy like Big O who kind of took over leading this team on the floor in, in a lot of ways uh, in that game, you know, came up with four big offensive boards. Um, and really kind of set the tone for the team. It, it's it's good to see guys contributing that maybe don't aren't going to be lottery picks next year, that aren't going to be the big-time guys. And that's that's what it's going to take to gut out some more wins at the end of this season. And so with this win, Texas looks, you know, according to the bracketology numbers, which are always so accurate, they have about a 77% chance of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, they do have two games left against Kansas and West Virginia. What is what does it look like for Texas moving forward? Uh, I think they have to pick up some wins somewhere. Um, if they can get a win uh, over either of these teams, that really helps their their potential um, to, to get into the tournament. If they can get a win uh, Monday night at at Kansas, um, you know, going into uh, into that field house and, and doing that is a pretty good statement that I think. Uh, sways enough people that that might just put you over the edge. Um, either way, if they can win win one of these and then maybe go into the tournament um, and get a couple there, um, and I, like again, I'm, I'm thinking maybe they get a seated where they get like an Iowa State in the first round, um, and then get someone like a Texas Tech, which is a really good team and is going to be a high seed in the second round. Uh, but a team that Texas has played really really well this season and, and had good success against, maybe they can pull out two wins there, and then if they can do something like that, like one in the season to uh in the tournament that that looks really good and that should um i feel gut feeling and, and again from the odds you're you're saying from the bracketologist 
um, which is, is not a degree you can get kids. That's not a real degree. Um, <laughs> uh, that it, it feels stronger that they will rather than they won't. But crazy counterpoint, just a thought. Um, is there somehow more, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this of a, of a, gained um thing going into next year just the feeling that you get from maybe going in and dominating and winning in nit uh if they don't get in and you get guys like oskowski and and all the people returning i I honestly think snoop despite a great finish um has had an uneven enough year that he probably should stick around another year um sims like all these guys that we have and then the incoming class we have which could be pretty good um just getting you know a little under your belt is that better or am i crazy to even think that it, I wouldn't say crazy. It's definitely not. I'd rather them get the experience in the NCAA tournament, but uh, it's it's winning goes a long way, and you see what that looks like for the off season. I I don't know. I think the momentum of winning a couple of games at the end of the season, going into the tournament, getting that experience. Uh, there are a lot of guys on this team that could use that. That I think. One of the things you've seen all season, the issue is they don't know how to play under the bright lights. And so maybe they need that. Maybe they need to see the bright lights. Maybe they need to see that. Uh, so give give me an NCAA tournament bit. I would much rather them play a couple of games in that tournament and get the big stage experience that they seem to be lacking a bit uh, than, um, than playing the NIT that's not necessarily the brightest lights and, and the biggest stage. I think that for me seems like the better experience. I don't know. That's fair. I just think these guys look like they don't know how to win. And, uh, you know, coming from the just devastating year they had last year, where I think they won four games or whatever it felt like the whole year. And then this year just dropped so many down the stretch where they had second halves where they went dry or just didn't look like they knew how to close a game out. Um, but I think you're right. I think truly probably it's better to, if you're going to win one, why not make it a uh, NCAA tournament game? So uh, I think that's the better route. We're hoping for it. We'll see what happens. For sure. Quickly, we're going to talk about the sixth-ranked women's basketball team in the nation, the Texas women's basketball team. After a close loss to the conference-leading Baylor Bears, they had a bounce-back win with a 72-59 to showing over Oklahoma uh, – not Oklahoma State, Iowa State to close out their regular season road schedule. They're going to finish out the regular season at home on Tuesday against Oklahoma Senior Night for uh, three ladies on the squad, and it's going to be uh, good to see them dominate Oklahoma to end their careers. Keep beating Oklahoma. I love it. Let's dominate the North of the Red River rivalry. So, uh, baseball, 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 baseball. So, baseball had a an interesting week. They had a midweek, had a Tuesday showdown against Lamar. Uh, they came out on top seven to two before starting a three game series against LSU. And this was a kind of a weird series for uh, for me to watch, Kyle, because they the first two games. LSU had a couple of big innings, five runs in the first and the fifth inning in their first two games to come out with wins. And then uh, Texas had a huge game on Sunday uh, with an 11-1 to win over the Tigers. So you're the baseball guy, so I'm going to leave the talking to you. But what does that tell you about this team moving forward? That we should stop playing teams that wear purple. Um, just a blanket <laughs> statement. Chris Del Conte, you know, his, he has not been able to bring the purple magic, which I assume is the reason he was hired, uh, from TCU and break, uh, UT's spell of, of, uh, absolute terrorism by the color purple. Um, but no, in, in seriousness, uh, this was kind of Texas's first test. We were curious to see what they had. Um, 
it's not easy to go and play in Baton Rouge in baseball. That's one of the toughest venues in the country. Uh, UT hadn't won there since 1999. So, um, one and two was kind of the, the baseline we needed to get. If we could have won that series, two and one would have been great. If we would have swept in LSU, I would have all of a sudden been really perked up saying, this is a national championship team we're looking at. I still think these are two top 25 teams. Uh, they could easily be two top 15 teams. Um, there's talent all around. Texas came out strong even in their losses and, and looked okay, maybe even a little better uh, on the bats in the series than they, they had previously. So it's a little bit of, uh, you know, working on some things that they had, had issues with early in the season. Um, they have a chance to sweep um, a actual purple team coming up next um, in in uh, the weekend series. They have UTSA on Tuesday, but the weekend series against uh, against Northwestern, who Northwestern is not good, but they played a not good Kansas team and put up 18 and 10 runs in consecutive games against them. That's very good offensive power, um, but I think Texas should be able to get the bats going against them. So, um, you know, they're four and three. Um, if they can end up seven and three with a, with a sweep or eight and three with a UTSA and a sweep, um, in the coming week, then, then I feel pretty good about the start in the first 10 or 11 games to the season for Longhorn baseball and coach Pierce. But, uh, they are going to need to get the bats working. They are going to really need to just kind of get their arms, uh, a little more consistent. And LSU does have a good, good offense and some good hitters on it, but I would have loved to see, um, getting out of a couple innings where they just let them extend and it turned into big play innings for the Tigers. Um, you know, it's it's going to be – Texas baseball is going to be a good team this year, but if they're going to be a great team, they really have to uh, buck the trend of other men's uh, kind of big sports at UT and be consistent. You know, that's the thing. Consistency is going to be key and seeing guys come out and, you know, like our pitchers in the opening weekend uh, being wizards and then kind of taking a little step back, um, some of them in this series. So consistency for me is what I'm looking for. Yeah, the – it seems like this weekend they couldn't string together the pitching or the the hitting. Like they either had the hitting and the bats were there, or the the pitching was absent. So I think, like you said, consistency, getting everybody on the same page, keeping everything uh, tight and lined up is going to be key. And, and the Big Twelve is a tough baseball conference; it always is. So uh, they need to get this these things ironed out before uh, the end of the regular season. So quickly, because we're, we're running a bit long this week, uh, quick in football, Reggie Hempel maps uh, transferring out. We know about that, but it looks like he's found a landing place or at least is leaning in a direction. He posted on Twitter a, uh, a picture of him rocking a full Houston Cougars uh, uniform, which seemed like the likeliest destination to get him closer to home with things that are going on with the family. And Texas announced officially its spring game is set for April 21st. Here's a big change. At 630 PM. So under the lights, we're going to see Texas uh, show off for the spring and what they've done in spring practice. And then very quickly, it's a sport we have literally not talked about yet on this podcast, track and field. Uh, the women won their fourth Big 12 title in five years. They actually finally beat Baylor at something, so that felt great. And the men came in second to the top-ranked Texas Tech Red Raiders uh, just 10 days after a uh, a separation, I guess is the way to say it, from from uh, track coach Mario Stad. I'm not going to try to say Satenga. Satenya, yeah. Satenya. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. So about 10 days after they separated from him. So good things still happening on the 40 acres in spite of basketball and football having down years. But that brings us to our favorite part of the show where we honor our favorite tradition on the 40 acres and bang the drum. Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, Texas uh, is nothing if not a, a punting and also swimming and diving school. 
Um, I uh, I had some of the again when I was when I was an RA, I had some of the uh, the the ladies swimming and diving uh, students on, on my floor and got to know them and went to a couple of the meets and it's a really 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 cool thing. Um, you know, just really have always been invested in this program, maybe just because I like winning. Um, but, uh, but it was awesome. It was another good weekend for the Big 12 championships. Um, both teams just absolutely dominated. The women, uh, won their sixth straight Big 12 championship with a 21 event sweep. That's pretty, pretty wow. good. So there are 21 events at the three day, uh, Big 12 championship and, uh, UT won them all. Um, what UT women. So that's very good. Uh, men won their, <clears throat> 39th consecutive uh, conference <laughs> title. And I, I checked multiple sources to make sure that this was not a typo that the internet was repeating everywhere. And this this is correct. It is, you know, Eddie Reese and, and, and uh, the Texas Swim program are unbelievably dominant. 39 consecutive conference titles. Um, it precedes the, the, the Big 12 even. But uh, uh, there was a particular standout. Um, Texas freshman Jordan Wendell, um, who's a really cool story, actually. Uh, he was a uh, Cambodian um, child who's kind of refugee and was rescued, or I should say adopted, I apologize, um, when he was 18 months um, and came to America. And he's a very not giant man he's five foot two always has a smile is one of the just like most energetic people you'll ever see if you get a chance to go watch the kid um he is unbelievably talented at diving and is also just like a like a radiant ball of joy to watch you know go in and out of the pool but um the the previous ncaa record um was from a duke diver of 560 points over uh, over six dives and uh, he shattered that with 579.6 including one dive that was uh, i believe like 111 which is just you, you don't do that that's not a thing that, that gets done um so just a, and that's a freshman again 18 year old kid uh who did that so he, this program continues to be the shining star um, on on the forty acres, and Eddie Reese continues to be the best coach, maybe in history of of any you know college sport. He's just so unparalleled dominance. You know, Gina Ariema, uh, be damned. Uh, I, I'm putting my money with Eddie Reese and the UT swimming and diving program. I mean, Eddie Reese was the U.S. national coach for a couple of years, and the assistant coach for I think like three or four Olympics. So there's, there's something good happening in the natatorium at the, uh, in the university of Texas. So my bang the drum this week, one of my probably all time favorite Texas players, uh, Frank Ocam was hired as the defensive line coach at Baylor, which hurts my soul just a little bit. But you know, Frank was on the national championship team, two time, all American played like eight years in the year five, seven years, excuse me, in the, um, in the NFL, just just a good guy. He's one of those dudes that you always love to have a good interview with. Uh, and so it's really cool to see that guy who maybe didn't have a huge career in the NFL. You know, he, he bounced around to uh, to four different teams throughout his career, four NFL teams, and then a year um, playing for something called the Omaha Nighthawks. Uh, I guess uh, that, that, that may actually be that may actually be an indie rock band. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. So um, you know, didn't have a huge career in the NFL, but. He was a guy who produced a lot at Texas, was one of those uh, back at Mac Brown's heyday, kind of from 2002 to 2005 or so, when he was just a recruiting machine. He was a, you know one of the top-ranked players in the country and in the state. So uh, it's good to see Frank at Baylor, and hopefully his coaching career just continues down I-35, and at some point he ends up uh, at the University of Texas back in Burnt Orange where he belongs. 
But that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening in. Again, if you like, we'd love it if you left us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found this. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, uh, wherever you find anybody that loves Texas Longhorn Sports. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? They can find me on the internet at uh, www.twitter.com backslash Kyle Carpenter or at the corporate offices of Fuddrucker lobbying for this promotional deal. That's Fuddrucker's America's Greatest Hamburger. Um, and uh, just quick plug, uh, you can find me trying to ship for the the lost UT romances of Mo Bamba and Lexi Sun. We'll miss you, Lexi, uh, on the <laughs> Instagram and Twitter as well. I love it. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. You can follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. And if you like nerd news, I do a show on uh, Tuesdays called the uh, Two Woke Nerds with a good friend of mine, writes from Roto World, Raymond Summerlin. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. And until next time, hook 'em. Hook 'em. Hook 'em.